Welcome to the Teacher Transition Podcast, where we celebrate the amazing things former teachers are now doing outside of the classroom. And where teachers who are considering making a move of their own can find the resources, guidance, and support that they need to take their next steps. I'm your host, Allie Parrish, and I'm so glad that you're here. so excited to introduce you to one of my longtime friends in this episode, Becca Pike. Becca Pike studied and prepared to become a teacher, and then she knew that there was a different course that was right for her. She's going to share how she explored different routes, how she went into instructional design, and then how she wanted to be doing more teaching. So she now also does training, and she oversees a training department and does some instructional design work as well. Welcome to this episode of Teacher Transition. Today we have with us one of my dear friends, Becca Pike. Becca, thanks so much for being on with us. Oh, thanks for having me. You guys, Becca Pike is a really great friend. Maybe you have people in your life and they they would glow in the dark. She's a glower. She is um, just one of those influences that you... Gosh, you just want to be around them. She's absolutely one of those. So, um, Becca loves education, and she—I uh, don't want to take too much of her story—but she studied elementary ed. She worked with pre-K and elementary during her undergrad. During her master's, she also taught um, teachers while she was at the university level. And but she also knew that the public ed like sector and setting wasn't really. Um, what was of interest to her. And so she's navigated her career path in some unique and just amazing ways. And so I'm so excited to have you on and share your story with us, Becca. Thanks, Sally. Thanks. And it kind of goes all over the place. So. Excellent. I think that's reassuring for teachers to hear because sometimes as teachers, we're such planners and we're used to like a year plan, a scope and sequence in every semester, you know, and it's like, we don't want things to be messy. We yeah. want to plan in a path. And so it's nice to hear that it's not all predetermined, you know? Oh yeah. Yes. Mine was very messy. So, uh, but I've learned a lot and actually the messiness of it has helped to give me more skills in the, um, in areas that I wouldn't have anticipated that I needed them. I know for a lot of teachers, it can feel like I'm a teacher. This is my job. Like this is a career. I go until retirement. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes there's a different mindset of like, actually the career path is an adventure, you know? Anyway, we'd love to hear your path. Okay. Perfect. So I'll give you a pretty high level, um, high level description of it. So if you want more details then just let me know. Um, but growing up, I just loved school and I still do. I think one of the things I love most about teaching is that I get to learn at the same time. And I love watching other people learn too. I think there's just great value in it. It's where everything starts. So I've always had a passion for teaching and learning. And in fact, my dad's a teacher. He's, he teaches at BYU. And so teaching has just always been part of my family and something that's really emphasized when it was something that was emphasized a lot when I was growing up is being a learner. And so When I got to college, I was like, I love learning so many different subjects and I really enjoy teaching. So elementary ed seemed like a very good fit for me. And I, it's not something that I regret at all. Uh, I did elementary ed and early childhood, both of those. 
And the early childhood really had a, it had a little bit more of the science and how learning how somebody learns, what's in a developmentally appropriate practice, at least the way that my program was split up. And then the elementary education gave me more of the tools. And it did go into some of that stuff and the psychology behind learning a little bit, but not as much of the physical development and whatnot. So the experience, it was interesting to be to be in that program at the same time as teaching at the Missionary Training Center for, for my faith. And the approaches were somewhat different, at least the, what my experience was. And I've also learned everybody has very different experiences. Let me pause for one second to give some people some context. So, yeah. so like Becca mentioned, she's in, like during her undergrad, she's learning about teaching, like the science, pedagogy, methods. And at the same time, while in school, she had a job at what's called a missionary training center. So she's teaching people that are like 18 through 20-ish. So she's learning about, right, the psychology and the, the methods of instruction while teaching, like for for kindergartners, you know, for elementary while teaching an older demographic. So what a great mix of age span and of theory. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that background, Ellie. So it, it really was giving me a fairly broad context for teaching and how do you really reach somebody. And there were also different approaches for how they gave feedback and all those types of things, which was very valuable to me in the future. Because the way I received feedback as an elementary ed major was very focused on the CPAS. For, for it, it's, I think most people will probably be familiar with that. But just the, are you are you able to demonstrate these skills in a teaching situation? And with the the older demographic in the missionary training center, it was much more. What did you? What can you tell me about your learner? Where are they at? What did they learn? So the approach was fairly different, and I liked the approach of asking, tell me about your learner and where they're at. How are you helping them? What tools are you going to use going at it from that approach versus solely the tools? And, but it later, it took me a while to recognize there's some value to asking about the tools too. But what it, what it did for me is the learner became the most important part of anything to do with teaching. And so that is still, and that's still something that in anything that I do, it's like, well, what's the, who, who's the person behind this? What do they need? Why are we even learning this? To what end? So very purpose-driven. And I'm going to pause you over time. Yeah. Because what you're describing, for those who are in our instructional design course, they're familiar with a needs analysis. And so knowing the audience and, and the needs and the objectives, perfect. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. The, and in fact, that's what, partially why I got in, interested in instructional design. So after I graduated, I recognized that being in the classroom in that type of say, I, I recognized I love teaching and I, and I really enjoy teaching kids too. There, there's different uh, joys for every single age group for me, but there's a lot of, I'm going to call it magic for teaching kids because it's just so exciting to them. And you can, you can do things that are very creative and they'll just eat it up. Right. So there's a lot of really fun aspects of that. And, and to be truthful, sometimes I do miss things like that. And, but after I graduated, I 
recognized I needed to be in a little bit of a different setting, but I had no idea what that would be. And because I felt so passionate about teaching, it was hard for me to step away from that. And I, so I graduated in April and I spent the summer trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I applied to lots of different jobs. And those are a lot of those jobs are the ones that I decided, you know, I don't think this is what I want to do, but it was very informative. I feel like I went out into this world of, oh my goodness, there's so many jobs in the world. And what skills do I have? I, I had to look at things like, do you know what? Teaching people, being a financial planner, things like that is actually teaching people, but it's very niche specific. And in fact, that's one of the jobs that I got was to teach people about how to budget. But after, after I got the job, I looked at it and I was like, this isn't actually what I want to teach people. And so that was one of them. Yeah. And, and it's ironically, it's some content that I think is very interesting and that came back again later, which you'll hear, but it, it wasn't really what I was feeling like. This is what I want to spend my day in and day out doing. And so there were several jobs like that and I didn't have a job. I remember I'd budgeted out my money. I was like, I don't have a job and I still don't know exactly what I want to do. It was a pretty, it was, it was a somewhat stressful time. At the same time, it was a a time period where it was kind of exciting where it's like, well, what am I going to do? And so uh, I had a friend who worked in elementary school. And so she knew that I needed to find something while I was looking and, and So I ended up working at her school teaching fourth grade whole math, which I love teaching math. And that was, so that was very fun for me. And then also going in and uh, helping tutor younger kids. And that was, so it was a part-time job. And I, I enjoyed being in the schools for that experience too. And when I was doing elementary, doing my undergrad I had experiences in a fifth, sixth combined, a third grade, first grade, and pre-K. So that was kind of all over the board as well. And so it gave me some taste, but I never, I never had my own classroom. And so that was something that I always thought I was like, that would be so interesting because then I would be setting all of the guidelines and working through this rather than trying to work in somebody else's. That was something that I learned later. I was like, oh we don't all have the same style for how we approach things. And that's okay too. And in fact, it's valuable. And the reason I share that is because that also has become valuable later as I've been helping teachers to teach is, well, what, what is beneficial to you? What's helpful? And also at the same time, back to the learner, what's helpful to them. It might not be what is necessarily comfortable to you or the first thing you would go to, but it is what they need. So So you have to be flexible in your approach, right? And so after that, I didn't, uh, my full, the full-time job I got was back in an office that I'd previously worked in, in my undergrad, which I said I was never going to go back, but then they created a new position and it was a good opportunity. And I was like, okay, this doesn't make a ton of sense, but it looks like a good opportunity. And I just have to let you know, because we're streaming this live to our course members, some of them are com- commenting with like, oh, I love that the messiness, I love that Becca said the messiness was helpful, right? Because when, when we're the one personally experiencing it, it could be like, I remember thinking, I know my life has a purpose, but like, what the heck is it? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm so used to having a plan and a, a place to contribute and having things like make sense, but it was so messy for me. So I love that you're sharing the messiness because that's the reality of 
transitioning oftentimes. Yes. Yes. It was very messy. It really was. And to be honest, it, it was kind of like this for me, even emotionally and cognitively, I was just, I trying to figure it all out, but again, it was very valuable. So I'm glad that that that's good to hear for some people because it's helpful. So for our audience out there, if you feel like you're going crazy and if you feel like you're going up and down, like emotionally and like whatever, just know uh, you're in a safe place here. We can totally relate and it's part of the path and it's okay to acknowledge it and kind of embrace it. And it is part of the path. But I I do feel like the up and downs, like eventually it's an upward, you know, trajectory. Totally. Keep going for it, kind of lean into it. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and, and the more that you go through the mess and see that there was value in it, the more willing you, it made me to continue making changes because for instance, so I, I didn't anticipate to work back in this office and I was an administrative assistant and also in charge of special projects and academic petitions. And this gave me also a lot of uh, insight into students' lives outside of academia, which really does matter when you're teaching them too. Because a lot of times your students can look like the, there's different demographics and that there could be this one size fits all, but you get into their personal lives and it's never the case. So many details. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and it really helped me to gain this perspective of what principles am I living by when I, and how I treat people. And then when I have to make decisions that are more administrative in nature, what, what am I basing these things off of? Guiding principles. And, That's great. Yeah. And, and doing research and getting familiar with how to create new programs or new, in this case, it was new processes and things like that, but based on research. And this is where I had a boss who, so a lot of this also is, I am so grateful for people who helped me through this, that could see things that I didn't and that had a vision that I didn't. Because my boss sat me down one day and he said, Becca, we need to get something clear. So I'm so grateful that you're here, but this is not your end this is not your end all be all. And I know it because he, he was the registrar of our unit of the university. And he just said, there's a lot of gifts that you have that need to be going places. So what can I do to help develop you? Which that's amazing to have like yeah. a mentor and a leader like that. That's so good. Yeah. If, if anyone out there has a principal that's like that, um, mad props to them. Because I think a lot of teachers feel like, no, 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 like they want me here. They want me to stay. They just need someone in the position that knows what they're doing and they don't have to train someone else. But when you have people in your life who help you see like, this isn't your end game, like, you know, or your end goal. Gosh, that's so, that's, that's monumental. I love that you had a figure like that. Was he also the one who had done a degree in what you went into? No. So he had done a master's of public administration, but one of the assistant registrars had been the one who did instructional psychology and technology. And I ended up working for him too. So part of this was I ended up having a lot, I had a number of different people that I reported to and other people that they, then students began reporting to me. So that was also good exposure to managing people. And that there is a lot of this is the, Teaching teaches you about people and managing is actually teaching people. A lot of it is how to do something new and finding out where they're at. Okay, well, tell me, what do you understand and what is hard for you? How can we help? So So there, that was beneficial. And, and I started noticing that the 
Well, first of all, so the the registrar who I told you I had that conversation with, he started doing things like saying, Becca, this is how you create a case study. And he gave me this thing to a book to read and a project that would involve something like that using these skills. And then we needed to create a new database system for our petitions. And so they said, well, Becca, will you go take this class on how to create that? And my boss could have done it on his own. Now, looking back, I look at it and I think you had all of the skill set and it would have been so much faster, but they sent me through to go learn how to do it. So what I'm expressing here is I'm so grateful for people who care more about developing a person and look at the timeline of where their projects are, what projects are important. I mean, this is also project management that I was watching them handle, right? So they were building people and getting their projects done. So I learned a little bit more about database systems because for me, technology in the past, I was I I would always tell people I am not a tech person. (laughs) I'm not a tech person. And you know what? It's still not, I would say technology is still not something that I would say is my natural element, but I learned a lot about it and learned to appreciate it and uh, learned how the tools can be beneficial. So for me, what I've learned what drives me is, well, what's the purpose and how are we going to get there? Okay. What tools do we have? And then coming at it from that approach rather than just learning a tool that's not as motivating to me. And some people love that part, but that's me, right? Now I can, I can kind of see with everything that you're mentioning, like for those that are listening, a lot of what Becca's mentioning is kind of theory, right? With, I need to know this about my learners. I need to know what the end goals are. I need to, you know, how, what's going to be best for teaching them and instructing them we can see that she loves instructional psychology. She loves instructional methods. And Becca, for a lot of our audience that is in classrooms with textbooks, with students doing behavior management and things like that, um, they, you know, and those who are trying to make a transition, some of the things that are really helpful for them are seeing kind of like milestones or hearing kind of suggestions or like, what did you do next? Or what did you do next? And so can you tell us, like, I I know that you chose to do your master's program and, and Becca's master's is in instructional design. Her program is called instructional psychology and technology. A lot of universities title that differently. Those who are in our instructional design course haven't done a master's in that, at least so far. I'm Actually, that's not true. Some people in our course have done a master's in it, but they felt like it gave them no idea of what instructional designers actually do. And they're some of the first, first friends, like their first teachers that reached out and they're like, I finished this master's and I still have no idea what the job is like. So could you share with us like anything you want about your, the master's program? And then for the teachers out there who are listening, can you tell them a little bit? I know you had multiple jobs after that doing instructional design stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for a lot of teachers considering a transition, they're like, like they, they get some of the instructional methods, right? They've, they've studied it and they totally relate with everything you're saying about loving that. Can you kind of take them on a tour of like, if we make it really practical of bringing it down to kind of jobs, roles, I, I liked it because of this. I didn't like it because of that so that they can kind of find their footing. Okay. Yes. Thanks for guiding me because I tell you a high level view and then I dig deep. I think of these people and experiences. So I appreciate that. You're great. And I love hearing how much you, I, I'm so like you where I'm like, I love the instructional, like the psychology and the methods behind it completely really. Yeah. Well, I guess all that's to say that is to help me to start to recognize what I really enjoyed. 
right? So from all of that and seeing people who, who had this skill set from instructional psychology and technology, that's when I decided this may be a program that I could do. And in fact, with the messiness, I was also trying to study for the GMAT. I will not try. I was studying for the GMAT at the same time because I thought about doing the MPA or MBA program too. And but it was always in the teaching side of things. I, so I didn't know. And some people do go that route and so get into teaching uh, in the corporate setting. But I wasn't sure what I exactly what route to take. So long story short, I ended up deciding to do the instructional psychology and technology program. And the program went through a lot, like you're saying, Ali, of learning theory. How do people learn? What are the different approaches? What are your assumptions when you approach a learner that they, how they learn. And uh, it helped me to think through things like, well, children need more, you're helping to give them context. Adults have a lot of context, but they may need a little disruption into what their perception of their context is so that they make a little bit more space to learn something new. So it taught me a lot of those things. And it also taught me what, how do you utilize a tool to create a new learning experience. And it can be in a lot of different settings. So some of the different jobs and experiences that I had in the program were teaching elementary ed majors. So for the full two years I was in the program, I taught them how to utilize technology in their classroom appropriately. So this isn't a crutch or this isn't just to replace what we were already doing without the technology, but how do you actually enhance an experience? Can you take somebody somewhere else in the world through Google Earth that they would never would have seen otherwise? And then how do you create a new experience for them and bring in new thoughts? And so that type of thing, or how do you help them to collaborate using Google Docs in an elementary ed classroom? What do you need to do? Because it's different than if you just gave them a piece of paper and they're writing on it. You need to I mean, it's little things like go through and say, okay, so-and-so start writing here, so-and-so start writing here, but you can all see it, but you're not going to start overlapping. So just little tools like that that help them to see this is going to help your students and, and, and to help them learn technology because so many jobs are going that way, right? I love so, all of those strategies, tools, and I love seeing how many are being used in classroom settings. Now. So yeah, well, and, and use more effectively too, right? Because there are, and using something as a replacement isn't bad, but if you can get to a place where you can actually enhance the education past just what it, we could do without it, then that's exciting. Are you wondering if instructional design and learning design would be a job that you'd actually enjoy? If so, we have a free two minute quiz that will help you find out. If it's a good fit for you, it will even let you know the specific aspects of instructional design that go with your personal strengths and interests. And if it's not a good fit, it will even show you other jobs recommended for you. So go to our site, teachertransition.com forward slash ID quiz to find out today. So many uh, people in our audience are just like, well, what about like jobs? Cause they're like, I need an income. Some people are like, I really want to have benefits, you know, like, can you tell us about like after graduating, how did your degree in instructional design translate into opportunities? Yeah. Well, so let me, let me say a couple of the other experiences I had in my program that will lead to those opportunities too. Thank you. They, so there were 
another jobs we did, one of them, we worked with Desert Digital Media and helped them learn how they could expand this boot camp that they'd been doing in person to an online platform so they could teach people about marketing because they are very, they're somebody in their industry that was doing it very, very well, but they're like, we need to scale this. It's a, a lot of it's about scalability. And, but you can't just transfer, as I'm sure many people are learning right now, doing more online. You can't just transfer the exact same thing you do in person to online. So what does that look like? So a lot of it gets into even a little bit of UX design. And, and UX, for those who are unfamiliar with that, is user experience. And what Becca's talking about, like the art and science and skill and job of translating a live learning experience into an online experience, that is done by instructional designers. So if that's what you love, instructional designer is the path for you. Yeah. Well, but the, the interesting thing is, so there was that, but then we also, I had experience designing instruction at, back at the Missionary Training Center. And we designed instruction both for online and for in the classroom. So you can do both. And, but then, and a lot of it was, how do you work with a stakeholder? What is their end goal? And what kinds of questions do you need to ask? So when you talk about a needs analysis, that was very important to finding out what they actually wanted. Cause you could spend a lot of time creating something that in the end they're like, this isn't accomplishing our goal at all. Yeah. What's the right. business goal? Like what are the overarching goals? And again, those yeah. in our instructional design course are familiar with that and with a needs analysis and the need to ask yeah. things like that. So yeah, cool. excellent. And something that I was passionate about, and this is what I did my project with that we don't often think about instructional design with was museum spaces. So I, my project was creating a, Children's, a children's literature exhibit for parents and their kids to get them into stories and create transformative learning experiences. But it's a very hands-off thing. So if we would do a lot of observations and then questioning after they went through the experience because that type of design is, okay, well, how do you design a space to create learning even when you're not there to facilitate it? Yeah. So there's so many ways that you can, you can design learning. And that's what's exciting about design is there's a lot of platforms you can work from. Excellent. So, and I love that example that you shared too, because I know some people in our core, in the instructional design course are interested in nonprofit, you know? And, yes. And so museums, libraries, all yes. the resources in a community, people need to learn how to use them and access them and make the most of them. And those resources don't have enough money for mm -hmm. live training all the time. So yeah. making it accessible, being able to scale it, it's, it's a huge blessing to them. So, yeah. And nonprofits is actually one of the things that got me into instructional design because I noticed that there was a need for that space to, I mean, nonprofits need to be teaching people all the time and that's how they make things sustainable. And so for part of, for part of our program, we also went to over to the UK and did a social entrepreneurship program, which also brought in my perspective on, okay, well, how can instructional design be created in these spaces to make things sustainable? And does it necessarily have to be with the nonprofit to be impactful? So there's, there's just a whole world of so many different avenues for that you can go down to get to the same place is what I'm trying to illustrate. So uh, one of the jobs that I got that I didn't take because of just life circumstances, and I still think this would be so fun, was to help create learning 
for dentists and other doctors who are part of the American Cleft Palate Association. And so they needed an instructional designer to help them figure out how do we teach our medical staff and how do you use webinars appropriately and how do we put this into a learning management system or is that the way that we even go? It was starting from ground zero. So that was one of the other jobs. And then after I graduated, though, I ended up working for a college of computer science and they were trying to create an online program for for a new demographic, essentially. It's one of the spaces where there's a lot of need and there isn't enough people that have the education, educational background to actually do the job, to fill the number of jobs there is. Hmm. So that was fascinating because we use a lot of video. So I worked a lot with, and, and in my program too, I'd taken some, I took one programming class because I knew I wanted to be able to I didn't want to be a programmer, but I wanted to communicate with people on the back end. And, and that's really important. And there are people in our instructional design course and computer science is their background. Can you remind me, was that at Newmont? What was the company that yes. you were working for? Mm-hmm. Okay. It was Newmont and it was designing courses. No, it was actually the video work, right? Because I remember talking with you back then and you were doing just a lot. It was part of well, your role related with video creation. So I, I did more consulting with and, and helping in the class, like in the, how do you say this? When we were filming things, I was there and I was asking him questions and I'd work with them on their scripts and, and help them figure out, okay, well, how are you going to say this? And where do we need to put in, in visual aids? And where is then where do we just want to be focused on your face? And let's not actually have a lot happening in the background because we want them focused here. So I worked really closely with the person who was making all of the videos. So she had the ex- the technical expertise and I was bringing in the, the how do you make it conducive to learning? And how, how long should these vi- videos be? So that's a lot of what we worked with with the teachers too is you can't get, stand up there and give a 20 minute lecture. Give us a five-minute snippet. Okay, now give us another five-minute snippet. And and then from those snippets, a lot of what I was doing after that was going through and putting it into a learning management system. What content needs to surround this video? Then what questions? And then how does it fit in with the assignments they're going to give? And how are we grading that? And how are we making it scalable? But how do we make sure they really know what's happening? So I designed courses like that. But then I also designed things like an ethics course. And uh, back to that financial side, a personal finance class. And in that one, I helped to run the back end of things. And that teacher knew I loved teaching. So he would let me teach that class with him sometimes. And then they found out there, and I'd done this at the Missionary Training Center as well. They found out that I love to train teachers. And so then I began teaching their, going in and observing their teachers. I went and observed the teachers and then gave them feedback for in the classroom. So we talk about what types of questions do you want to ask your students? And do you really understand where they're coming from? And over here, these guys were really engaged, but did you notice over here that they weren't as engaged? What are some things that you think you could do? So I would go in and give them feedback for stuff like that. So great. I love like the practicality of the things that you're sharing because even yesterday, some teachers in our instructional design course were like, okay, like here's like these ideas with videos and things, you know, and, and some videos that they've worked on creating. But, you know, I tried to explain, I was like, you're doing a great job just by doing this, but no, as an instructional designer at, at a lot of companies, like they're going to have 
video people and the tech people and those that do the graphic design so that you, similar to what you just described, you are like the expert of how people learn effectively. And so you tell and direct your team in, I need visuals of this. I need questions like this. I want them to appear on the screen like that. I want to assess my audience like this. Teachers so oftentimes feel undervalued because of their ability to educate, their ability to help people comprehend because they don't know what other settings it can fit in. Instructional design like needs that. When people go through boring trainings or through, you know, if it's a live training or an online learning piece and it's like, oh, this didn't help. Anyway, the practicality of what you just described. And I love that you got to like observe the trainers and the teachers and, and things like that. So, so, so helpful. Well, and what gets tricky too, Ali, as far as where the rubber hits the road is after you leave your program, you have all of this theoretical knowledge and then applying it. And sometimes people turn off as soon as you start talking theory. So you have to learn how to put it into layman's terms and give examples that they're going to relate with because a lot of people feel like, well, I can just stand up and I can teach this. Why do I need to be trained in it? But then as soon as they start getting feedback, they start realizing, oh, there's things. And obviously there are a lot of people that are intuitively very good teachers. And I think we could all think of people like that. Um, But it's usually because they've seen it in action. People who haven't experienced really effective teaching have a very hard time replicating. It's something that they've never seen. So there's things, again, it's coming at it from an intentional way. I think that's one of the biggest things that the program did for me. And because I asked one of my teachers about this too, and he really drove home the point of, Becca, being in this program, there are people that can do it, but this is going to help you be intentional about it. So you're not just going to stumble on something like, oh, I'm so glad that worked. Well, it's, I know what works here, or I at least have some ideas of where to start. And then we can, and a lot of it is about iterating. So we did a lot of rapid prototyping, try something in a very simple way, see if it works. And if it does build on it and make it a little bit more complex, and then you can keep building. So get messy. You have to get messy with design. Excellent. I know so, that after after we wrap up like your your story, we're gonna um, be talking with the people in our course and taking questions from them about some of the practical things. But can you tell us about like your next steps? So you first did instructional design, and then you went into training. How did that yeah. come about? What did you What do you do as a trainer? What do you like about it? And can you help our audience identify? You know, if you like X, Y, and Z instructional design is the path for you. Or if you like A, B, and C, becoming a trainer is the path for you. And how do you get a job in each yeah. of those areas? Good question. So I recognize that when I was doing instructional design at Newmont, I really missed teaching. And, and I had an outlet. So back to the not traditional, I was teaching an institute class for my church. So that we it would be anywhere from like 50 to 100 people in that class. And so that was filling that need for me. But I recognize this is something that I still really love. And the further I get away from opportunities to teach, the more I kind of felt like my my design was being impacted. And so I kept thinking I would, and this is again for me, because I know everybody doesn't work this way. But I kept thinking if there was a place where I could both teach and design, that would be my ideal. And so I had a friend who was aware that I was looking for some things like this. 
And so she reached out to me and she said, Becca, we need somebody to come into our, our corporation and train on classes. And there will, there wasn't, I wasn't hired to do as much design, but there, there have been design opportunities. Um, I do more program design, but it's also to train their instructors. So she said, we have a lot of instructors that we've hired that haven't had a lot of background in it. So we teach them how to teach and go in and give them feedback. So now this is my current job. And part of this is that corporations also change their direction. At least mine does right now frequently. And you have to be flexible and you have to be flexible. And this happened, this has happened to every job. You go and present something, you put your whole heart and soul in and they're like, it's not exactly what we want. What about these things? But it's valuable because it gives you something to work from and then you just make it better. Right. So you have to let go of, you have to just let go and be flexible. And so currently, I know I have a lot of time left. That's what I spend my time doing though, is training on courses on things like Covey's Seven Habits, and then designing a program for all of the employees for learning that content. And right now, a big part is learning transfer, because they take a class, but then where does it, what happens to it after that? Okay, so so let me pause for a second. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, if you've heard of something called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, the company's called Franklin Covey, and basically is teaching people kind of, I don't want to say how to be better people, but how to be more effective in categories of life, soft skills, right? Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And so I know a lot of teachers love like, people and concepts of the heart and character and things like this. So the role that you're in would appeal to so many people, but you're saying you not only train on that, you are ensuring that all of the employees there are, have training facilitated for them. Yeah. So, well, yes. So it's helping the instructors to learn how to do it more effectively, but now, so we've turned where we were restructuring. So now I'm also in charge of this group called the delivery group and it has a lot of different arms. So it has coaching where it's one-on-one learning, the classroom learning, experiential learning, where they go through a ropes course or something and learn in that way. And then there's also an arm that's more one like independent learning where they can go to what we call them labs and they can, they have time set apart where they can go and look at content from worksheets and other things that we have and how do they actually apply it. So uh, it's coming at it from a lot of different ways. And right now the design is more, okay, how do we bring together all these different types of learning so that it actually creates change in somebody. So they don't just learn something, they become something. So that's a lot of what I spend my time doing. Excellent. Okay. There's your long story, Allie. Excellent. What what a career. I mean, what a path, right? I love that you had a lot of self-awareness, even right out of undergrad, that while you appreciated things about the public ed setting, it wasn't a place where you were going to personally thrive and where your interests and your gifts and your skills and your wants were going to take you. I love it the messiness of the path. I mean, as much as I don't love experiencing the messiness of the path, I love just the honesty that you shared of like, it was applying to different things and working in an office and going back to a job that you had previously where you didn't really want to be or go back to necessarily, but the people in your path were guides and mentors. And gosh, I'm so grateful for the people in my life that are that. But just hearing, you know, the steps that you've taken and 
and the roles that you've had and that some of them came through like networking and friends and things that things that you've mentioned I know is is helpful for everyone so will you just share some final I know you um, submitted some things as far as tips for transitioning teachers do you want to share those or do you want me to to share those I'm trying to remember what I what I wrote for you, Allie. You got, I've, I've got it right here. Okay, guys, here are Becca's two tips for transitioning teachers. One, what gifts do you have that you feel could impact the world around you for the better? And number two, what are you passionate about? And how can you direct those passions into a career? You can get creative, right? And so, yeah, I, I love the advice that you shared just the reality and the messiness of the path, but showing how teachers with their knowledge of methods of instruction and how people learn effectively can translate into different companies and different roles and different age groups as an instructional designer, as a trainer, and that one helps with the others. So, so awesome. Okay. Becca, thank you so much. Thank you. In our course, she's going to be sharing more about how to actually get the jobs, what a day in the life of an instructional designer in her former role looked like, and just any tips and answering questions of those in our course. So thanks for being with us. Awesome. Thanks, Sally. If you want to open new opportunities for your future with your teaching skills, then enroll in our course from teacher to instructional designer. This is so much more than just an online course. You will finish the course ready to confidently apply to jobs with a resume and cover letter that are already created for you with customizable templates and with your personal portfolio that showcases the instructional design skills you already have and those that you will gain through the course. You'll receive a professional development certificate that you can share with your school for PD hours, and you'll also have the option to get a certificate in instructional design and instructional development that you can showcase on your resume. On top of that, I'll show you the best places to find the kind of job you want, and our whole community is here to support you in our private course member-only group. So, your future is calling. Are you ready to answer? Go to teachertransition.com forward slash ID and sign up now. Don't put this off. There's a limited time coupon code that's on the checkout page and it won't be there for long. So sign up now. Let's get you and your incredible gifts on their way to the future opportunities where you're needed. And be sure to sign up soon so that you can join us in a live kickoff. The sooner you join, the more content in the course that you'll be able to go through so that you can ask all the questions that you have and get all the personalized support that you want as we do a live class meetup soon. Also, the cost of the course is going to be going up. So be sure to jump in sooner rather than later so that you can join us live and get the best price. This episode may have ended, but connecting doesn't have to. Join us on Facebook or Instagram and get the support and inspiration you need in your personal educator path. If you're loving the podcast, help us spread the word. Leave a review or screenshot the episode, share it on social media, and be sure to tag us at Teacher Transition. Who knows? We may even feature what you share on our social media feed too. Until next time, teacher friends, Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. 
Good luck with the great things you're up to right now and keep looking forward to the amazing things to come. Thank you.